You're tuned in to shifthappens.media on CJLYFM, Radio with a Heart. My name is Jeff Pilsner. And I'm Anna Boxstrom. Shift Happens airs from 2 until 4 p.m. every Tuesday and also every Sunday from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. on Kootenai Co-op Radio, CJLYFM. Podcasts of the show are also available at KootenyCoopRadio.com and ShiftHappens.media, or you can also listen live on KootenyCoopRadio.com. Shift Happens, affecting positive change, one shift at a time. All right, in today's show, we're going to be interviewing Lorna Visser of the Slocan Lake Legacy so, Society. Isn't Slo- that how it goes? The Slocan Valley Legacy Fund. Oh, same difference. She wanted to talk to us about Giving Tuesday, which is coming up November 27th. We give on Tuesday. We give up our hearts on Tuesday. Yes, we do. And our souls. There you go. And we give people plenty of good tunage to listen to as well. At least I think so. Speaking of... Yes, we're going to start out with some Robbie O'Connell, New Radicals. And some Citizen Cope. Oh yeah, I love Citizen Cope. Haven't played him in a while. What else are we going to do? We're going to play some Bob Marley, some U2, Daniel Caesar, and Crowded House. Awesome. All right, so hang on and enjoy. Shift Happens on CJLY. So you're listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio. My name is Jeff Pilsner. And I'm Anna. And we have with us today, Lorna Vizier. Did I pronounce it correctly? Visser. Visser. Oh, that's what... <laughs> I can never, the spelling of the name just didn't make sense with the pronunciation. So I'm glad to be corrected. Right I'm willing to be corrected. We uh, were talking to Lorna this week because next week, Tuesday, is Giving Tuesday, November 27th. And Lorna is one of the board members of the Slocan Valley Legacy Fund. That's right. And every year, you guys do quite a big event around Giving Tuesday. So we thought we'd check in again. We did last year. I think you guys did pretty well last year. We did. We're very grateful for your support. So what have you guys got planned for Giving Tuesday this year? All right. Well, this year, Giving Tuesday falls on November 27th, and we call it the start of the giving season. It's actually a worldwide movement to encourage giving and generosity in all of its forms. For the Slocan Valley, we're encouraging people to consider a gift to the Slocan Valley Legacy Fund, which is our endowment fund for the Slocan Valley. We're the community fund for the Slocan Valley. So we've got um, ads in the paper. We've got rack cards out in local businesses. We're having two coffee and conversations events where we'll be bringing people together to talk about the community foundation movement and how they can support it. And we're hoping to raise, we hope to raise about $12,000 this year. That's our goal. So you're um, on the board. How many members are on the board? We have nine very dedicated board members from the whole length of the Slocan Valley, up and down the valley. And we meet once a month, plus we do all the work. So we're a total uh, non-paid organization, a volunteer board, and we all put in a fair amount of our own time to make sure everything gets done. So how is the board selected? Do you have, you have like, 
competition for <laughs> board members? Um, we, as we've evolved over the years, we've been established now for about eight or nine years. Um, at the beginning, it was, you know, the usual early days establishing a new, a new nonprofit organization. But now we found a fairly smooth transitional way of getting people on the board. First of all, we serve three-year terms, and that's been really good in terms of uh, continuity and building skills and building commitment and all of that. And uh, we usually just go out and recruit new board members when it's time to find new people. And right. it's a fairly thoughtful process mm -hmm. um, because you want to get the right mix of skills and also the right geographic mix because the Slocan Valley is a large area. Mm -hmm. And I would yeah. imagine the right kind of mix of interests or yeah. sort of priorities. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. How long has the organization existed? Uh, we started in 2010 and the okay. impetus was actually from Kootenai Savings, uh, bless them. They had some funds that they had set aside to give to each community foundation where they had a branch. Right. And it turned out there was no community foundation existing at that time in the Slocan Valley. And so they had funds dedicated to the New Denver branch and the branch at the junction that they were ready to put into a community foundation. So we said, okay, well, we will establish one. That was the initial funding. And since then, we've raised probably well over $100,000 more to add to the endowment as well. Wow. And where did that money come from? It came from you and me and every individual person in the Valley who has contributed. I, I always like to say that's money we've raised the hard way, you know, mm -hmm. the hundred dollars and the $50 and the thousand dollars and maybe the $10,000 at a time. But uh, yeah, through community outreach. Okay. So what's your stated purpose? Like what, what is the legacy fund really dedicated to doing? Right. We are, first of all, an endowment fund is a little bit different model than a typical charitable organization. We gather the money and we put it into an endowment fund where it sits in perpetuity. So we don't raise money and then immediately spend it. We raise money, put it into an endowment fund, and each year we grant the interest on the fund. So that way, when you give to the legacy fund, you are literally giving forever. You are giving in perpetuity to your community. Our mandate is to create vibrant, resilient communities and to support all the wonderful charitable, nonprofit and community organizations that exist in the Valley. So how much interest is there on $100,000? Well, this is the beauty of being part of the community foundation movement. If you just took your endowment fund and invested it yourself, you would be lucky to get 2 or 3% interest. But because we're part of a, a national network of community foundations, we get the benefit of, being, of playing with the big boys, basically, of, of playing with the big kids. So, for example, our fund is held within the Osprey Community Foundation, and Osprey invests all of its endowment with the Vancouver Foundation. The Vancouver Foundation has 1.1 billion, that's billion with a B, billion dollars in endowment. So when you have that much money to invest, you have a lot more leverage to get better interest rates and to basically get investment uh, investments that bring a better return. Wow. And so where yeah. does that billion dollars come from? Donors, individual donors, people Around in British Columbia. And well, that's just British Columbia. So the Vancouver wow. Foundation serves British Columbia. In Canada as a whole, there's 191 community foundations. And in total, the community foundations network in Canada has $5.2 billion in assets. So this is a pretty substantial social force that we're very happy to be part of here. So how long has the entire association existed? 
uh, well, since 2010. Right, the legacy fund for the Slocan Valley for the, for right. the valley, but for the overarching oh, I see. this well, movement. The, the movement. movement probably since the turn of the century. I think the Vancouver Foundation itself got established in the early 1940s, and it was actually wow. established with one donation from a secretary who decided she wanted to give part of her salary every month, and she talked a bunch of wealthy financiers into matching her gift. And that was the birth of the Vancouver Foundation. Wow. And if if the Vancouver Foundation has 1.1 billion and Canada has 5.4, 5.2 billion, 5.2 yeah. billion, that means that this is a very well-established. Exactly. We're a bit of, we're a bit of latecomers, actually, to yeah. the movement. And, and so we really are, you know, getting caught up here and getting the Slocan Valley to have the same benefits of having a community foundation that they figure now that 90% of the communities in Canada do have access to a community foundation. That's, that's pretty wow. amazing, yeah. actually. So the funding, is it similar to other funding agencies in the region where you have to be a charitable organization? Right. That's an interesting construct. So because we have to grant to charitable organizations. That is the law of Canada Revenue Agency. That's the overseer of all of these matters. What we do is we encourage groups that aren't registered charities to partner with an agency agreement with a registered charity. We've done some workshops on that. We have materials on our website that explain some of that, or we can send out that material to potential grantees. And uh, that's worked pretty successfully. Partnerships. Hmm. Okay. So if people want more information, just so we get this off the top before I forget, <laughs> how do they access information? What's the name of the website? Right. So the website is simply www.slocanvalleylegacy.com. And we also have a Facebook page, Slocan Valley Legacy Fund, and try to keep that fairly up to date and post a couple of times a week. And if you zip through that, you'll find a fair amount of information as well. Okay. So give us an idea of some of the projects you guys sure. have funded. Okay, so I'll give you the list just for this year, for 2018. Uh, we funded the following projects that helped create a new gallery in New Denver. That was the new Hidden Garden Gallery, the move of the Hidden Garden Gallery. We provided intergenerational cooking classes in Slocan. We supported the remodeling of the Bereavement Center, uh, safety equipment for the South Valley Rail Trail, we contributed the funding, some funding towards building the, a wheelchair access ramp at the Sandin Museum and also support for an art gallery at the Vallican Hole Community Centre. So that was our 2018 grants. And I have a list of all the other ones. And we've given out more than $60,000 already in grants. Wow. That's quite a substantial amount of support for yeah. community endeavours. Yeah, especially for an organization that's young and growing and, you know, hoping to be a greater force in the community as we grow. Mm -hmm. Well, and when there's that kind of money involved, I can see why you would be jazzed to be part of this. Right. If you were only giving out 500 bucks for the year or whatever, it would be hard to it's more than that, be motivated. Certainly. And this idea has been around for a long time in the community. I talked to many as sort of our local community leaders and they said, Oh, we've been, we've been talking about this for 20 years, but a group of people has to step up and actually make it happen. Right. So mm -hmm. finally that did happen and, and we're, you know, pretty pleased with how far we've come already. So how do you decide what projects are worthy of funding? Right. 
We have a volunteer committee. That's our grant committee. There's two board members on it. And then there's four volunteer members from the community. Obviously, they have to be impartial. Um, if a grant did come before them that they had anything to do with, then they would have to step out of the room during that part of the discussion. And the grant committee reviews all the applications very carefully and makes an impartial decision. They have a ranking system. Um, we are looking for, for our part projects that are innovative, that projects that seek collaboration, build community, build resilience, uh, support the environment. Uh, we have a list of criteria and they're all on the website under, uh, I think it's called Get a Grant is the page that has all the, okay. the information. Do they have to be new projects? No, nope, no, nope, they don't have to be new projects. If they're existing projects, they have to be demonstrated to be useful and successful projects. But no, we, mm -hmm. we don't have that. So you, when we were talking earlier, you were talking about this idea of um, this fund being rooted in the idea of place right. and of community. Right. Can you share some of that philosophy? Sure. <clears throat> so obviously, you know, we live here and we think the Slocan Valley is a pretty special place. So what's beautiful about the community foundation model is that it's it's not a one size fits all model. It's based on what works for your community. So, you know, in the Slocan Valley, we have quite an agricultural community and we have quite a rural community. So we're funding things like a bee uh, hive that we take that the Bee Awareness Society takes around to schools to teach children about pollinators. We're funding the Harvest Share Group um, and the Earth Day, the Seed Swap, all of that sort of thing. Wild Days is another project that we're very pleased to have funded, which takes people on educational tours out in nature. That was through the Slocan Lake Stewardship Society. Uh, so a lot of that is is really appropriate to the place we live, mm -hmm. and and we. We feel that having a community-based board, a community-based grant committee, we're really adding that value to the to the decisions that are made. I hmm. noticed you also had funded the Unity Fest. We did. So, that was one of the early years. Yeah. Right. So that was more of a cultural That's right. kind of thing. Yeah. We've also funded uh, the Youth in Concert series for the Valhalla Fine Arts Society and also performances at the Pavilion, the Senior Center here in New Denver so that the people, the residents at the pavilion could get quality musical entertainment because they can't go out and go to a concert. So the uh, Health Arts Society actually brought the concerts to them. Okay. So my question then is, if there's five point whatever billion dollars in BC. No. In Canada. In Canada. Oh, in Canada, sorry. 1.1 okay. billion in BC. Right, okay. 1.1 yep. billion in BC. Mm-hmm. How do they allocate the funds to the province, to the communities? Is right. it based on population? Is it based on location? It's based on each foundation's endowment size. So, for example, the Osprey Foundation right now has $9 million. That is the pool of their endowment. And so, obviously, they keep track that this $9 million belongs to the Osprey Foundation Osprey sends that to Vancouver Foundation where professional investment advisors and you know the the bean counters who do this for a living mm -hmm. are getting the best possible investment advantage from that. 
And okay. then the results of those investments go back That's to right. Osprey. The interest goes back to Osprey and right. then the Osprey gives it to, they have many, many different funds that fund different either activity areas. In our case, we're a geographic fund. So we would get our portion of that interest and that would be what we grant each year. And I should also mention that the grants are topped up by the Kootenai Savings Community Foundation who give us, give us a bit of money every year to sort of top it up. Mm-hmm. which is really generous of them. So it makes it, gives it a little more oomph. Yeah. That is nice. Yeah, they've been a wonderful supporter. We're very grateful. All right, you're listening to Shift Happens on CJLY. My name is Jeff. And I'm Anna. And who we, are you? We are <laughs> interviewing Lorna Visser. Uh, I was putting her on the spot. <laughs> I know, and I was getting her off the spot. Thank you. All right. <laughs> of the Slocan Valley Legacy Society. So... Uh, you mentioned that Giving Tuesday is coming up November 27th. That's right. And that you are going to be doing some coffee houses yeah. in various places. So where are these places? <clears throat> and okay. what kind of coffee? Yeah. <laughs> well, that is up to our lovely coffee house hosts, which are the Apple Tree and the Everbean Cafe, which is in Evergreen Natural Food Stores. We really believe that, you know, you need to get out and talk to the community, uh, have firsthand face-to-face conversations with supporters, members, and really find out what what moves people here locally. So we uh, we try really hard to get out to events. We're at the Friday Market in New Denver. We are at the Hills Garlic Festival. Uh, we're trying very hard to be an interactive board that really reaches out to the Slocan Valley. Um, on Giving Tuesday, we're having two events uh, with board members present to talk and also some musical entertainment. We call them coffee and conversations events. And in the North Valley, we will be at the Apple Tree in New Denver from 10 till 2 on November 27th. And in the South Valley, we will be at the Everbean Cafe from 11 to 1 on that same day, November 27th, which is Giving Tuesday. We'll also have some musical entertainment at both events. And it's just an opportunity to learn more about the Legacy Fund, ask questions, and we hope bring in some donations as well. And well, I imagine I know that there's a famous clarinet player. <laughs> uh, is she going to be no, playing at those she's, events? She's she's a little a little rusty right now. Let's just put it that uh, okay. way. She's been too busy doing all this volunteer work. Right. Good excuse. Yeah. Good excuse. I would imagine that one of the things that you need to do as a board member is kind of find out always what are the priorities of your local community. That's what right. kinds of things do they want to see uh, funded? That's right. Although that does happen kind of organically through the intake process when people write our write a grant application to the grant committee. Um, and we've been doing some work over the past few, few years to refine the grant application process. It's a tricky balance, right? Because you don't want to make it so onerous and laborious. And yet, on the other hand, you want to really honor that you've done due diligence and you're truly picking the best projects possible. So we hope we've achieved that balance and we feel we get good input from the community that way. And of course, we are at events and we have a a toll-free telephone number. We have a website. We have an email address. We have a Facebook page. So there are a number of ways for people to get a hold of us and we would certainly welcome input. Right. Yeah, I... I was just thinking about your um, your whole process of, uh, you know, you've got these various board members from various geographical regions. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you all have lives and you all have priorities. But um, that process of deciding what to fund, it's got to be 
impartial. It's yeah. got to be really balanced and and reflecting the needs of the community. And yet I have, as a person in the region, been involved in a few grant applications. And that process, sometimes by the time you're done, you think, really? I could have just done the work and all the time I put into the grant application. Especially if that grant is for 500 bucks, 500 bucks or $1,500. You're thinking, man. So what I was wondering is, do you require more information for a larger dollar figure or do you just have a standard process? That's always the irony of grant writing. It's as much work to write a grant to raise $5,000 as it is to write a grant to raise $50,000. It certainly is one of the, you know, ironies of being in the nonprofit sector that these grants have to be written. I think, though, that our grant process helps groups clarify their thinking around their projects. And uh, we try to have fairly open-ended questions that, that lead to collaboration and innovative projects. So I'm hoping it's not too onerous. I mean... Um, Yes, there's a process that has to be followed. And ultimately, we are under the oversight of the Canada Revenue Agency. And that has to be that way. People have to feel that when they make a donation to a community fund, it's it's got proper oversight and it's being carefully shepherded and all the rules are being followed. And one of the rules is, you know, around this granting process and and that you have to give to a registered charity and those sorts of things. So Mm -hmm. there's only so far we can go with making it easy groups yeah. right. to some degree to follow the rules, to be a credible, uh, a credible entity in the community foundation movement. We also have to do our due diligence. Right. So as part of that, like, do you pay for feasibility studies? No, we're, we're not quite at that size yet where we can do okay. that, but that could happen in the future. Because I personally have issue with feasibility studies mm. myself. But. Right. A lot of money does go well, to those. Exactly. Yeah. I, I I see projects where they have to have a feasibility study done and they pay someone an exorbitant amount of money. And whether the project goes ahead or not, I mean, I'm thinking I, I'm in the wrong business. I should <laughs> exactly. have got, gotten into the feasibility study business. <laughs> yeah. No, I take your point. I, we certainly aren't interested in funding that at this point in time. We're somewhat on the smaller scale of things at this point in time. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at, you know, government funding or large grants, maybe Columbia Basin Trust tends to fund those sorts of things. But we're looking for boots on the ground projects that are, you know, something like the harvest share dinner or right. bringing the beehive to schools or having concerts at the pavilion. I mean, we're still at funding at that level. Mm-hmm. Right. So what motivated you taking this to a personal level? What motivated you to be part of this organization in the first place? Well, I come from a background as a professional fundraiser um, and having been involved in the community foundation movement in other places where I've lived in Canada, certainly in Calgary and in Vancouver, so pretty aware of the size and scope of those organizations. And I always felt it was a shame we didn't have it here. Mm -hmm. So there was kind of a groundswell that happened when Kootenai Savings offered this funding it sort of came together organically that our first 10 or 12 people just, we had a bunch of community meetings and people signed their names on sign up sheets and some of them stuck. And that was how we got our first board. And so I was really pleased to be part of that founding group. There were several of us who were the founding uh, signatories of the first board of the 
Spokane mm-hmm. Valley Community Legacy Society and took it from there. So again, you've had a past. I mean, this is what you used to do for a living. Right. So can you mention what organizations you worked for in the past? Sure. Or if you told me you'd have to kill me? No, or I think we'll work? let you live. Um, okay. I, I cut my teeth at the Canadian Red Cross. I was their development manager in Calgary. And then I took a job in Vancouver with the organization that's now called Eco Justice Canada. At the time, it was called the Sierra Legal Defense Fund. So did the, um, yeah, all the fundraising for those organizations and learned, okay. learned my craft there. Do you think that being a part of the Slocan Legacy Fund in particular has enriched your life? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's so much fun to build something from the ground up. And even now we're, what, eight, nine years into it, we're starting to see that we've kind of found our groove. I'll just mention something else that we do. We, we realized that there wasn't really one unified volunteer appreciation event for the Slocan Valley. And we have amazing volunteers in this area. I mean, people are on multiple boards. They're, mm-hmm. they're, the amount of work that keeps our communities running, the, the energy that comes from volunteers is really exceptional. And we realized there wasn't an event. There, there are local events, like a, a municipality or a community might do an event, but there wasn't a valley-wide event. So one of our board members, Val Mays, came up with the idea of having an event every year called Get Your Just Desserts. And every year we have a really nice, it's kind of a community tea. There is wine served as well. And of course, desserts. And we have prizes and games and a few politicians come and thank everybody for being volunteers. And we'll have maybe some musical entertainment or it's a whole fun event. And the only purpose is to thank people for volunteering and recognize people for volunteering. So we've stepped into that niche. You know, so we found a few things that needed to be done, and then we hope we're doing them well. Another thing we do is each year we sponsor a two-page spread in the Valley Voice explaining what are community foundations, what unique role do we play, how can we help build more vibrant communities when we, when we control the funds in our communities and we spend them in our communities and we raise them in our communities. That's a pretty unique model of community empowerment. So we, we sponsor the two-page spread and it covers all of the community foundations that are in the Valley Voice catchment area. So, you know, we're, we're doing more than just the grant program. We have these various community events. We're at, we're at the Friday Market. We're at the Garlic Festival. Uh, we'd love to have more people involved and and we're really getting it going. We're really growing this. How many societies do we actually have in the Silicon Valley Voice catchment area or whatever you refer it to? It would be well over 100. Yeah. yeah. We do have a lot. We have a societies. lot. We do. Yeah. But I think that speaks to the commitment of our local volunteers. I yeah. mean, people want to make things happen and they're willing to put their energy into it. Mm-hmm. More power to them. And I do think mm-hmm. one of the important components that some volunteer organizations forget is thanking the people who are doing the work. Yeah. It is, it's a huge commitment in some cases. A lot of people here spend as much time volunteering as they do working. You included, I'm sure. Yeah. She's you pointing bet. at herself. I have to yeah. say that is very true. One of the little things we say at the volunteer event that we have at guest, sorry, get, get your, your just desserts. desserts. As soon as it's over, all of the people who are there are of course being recognized and thanked as volunteers and when it's over, they all start putting the chairs away, cleaning up the tables, bringing the plates to the kitchen. We're like, no, this is your day to actually not have to do all the work. So 
I think it's just really ingrained in the culture of small communities. We, we make things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the only way we will continue to be viable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you have uh, an economy that is, eh, it's sort of a struggling down, along. Yes. Yeah. And we have our periods of the year where very little is happening. A lot of our lives are run and managed and provided for by mm-hmm. nonprofits. I mean, look at all our fantastic artistic and cultural activities that we have for such a small community. Mm-hmm. The quality of the the music and the art and the theater Especially and the, dance. the clarinet playing. <laughs> I don't know about that. But anyway, I mean, we're really blessed to have world-class musicians, yeah. composers, artists, sculptors. We have a community of amazing people here. And if we can, as a, as a community foundation, if we can fund some of that and support some of that, it just helps to build that richness. So can you give examples of total amounts? I mean, I'm sure there are people getting like 500 bucks, but what is the largest amount that you've seen people apply for and actually get? Well, it depends on the year. So it's, it's a little bit of a tricky calculation, right? Because you have to take the size of the endowment and then what is the interest going to be for that year? Of course, as the endowment grows, we will have increasing amounts to grant, which is the whole point of raising money through Giving Tuesday to put into the endowment fund, the legacy fund, so that we then have more money to grant. So it's like building a snowball, right? You want to, you know, we're starting small and we're building that snowball and pretty soon it's going to be a bigger ball and it'll be a big snowman. Um, grants are usually in the two to $5,000 range right now. And every year we set a maximum amount that we will grant. It depends on how much we have that year to grant. So right. we hope to see that grow every year. And usually the total amount we grant would be twelve to fourteen to fifteen thousand dollars. Okay. It's not a lot. We're still getting going. Yeah. But I think the message to the community is if you want to see this grow, we need your support. And I really do appreciate the approach that if if you're going to go through the grant writing process, let that process be useful yes. so that even if you don't get the grant, yeah. you have gone through the process of collecting enough information to make your project successful. That's right. And one of the things you said earlier, earlier, Anna, which is really relevant here, is how many different nonprofit organizations there are in the Valley. So one of the things we look at is how can we get these groups to collaborate? Mm-hmm. Who else is in this similar niche? Uh, you know, can we work together? Uh, can we do a joint project? That sort of thing. So we're, we're trying to gently encourage that sort of thing. When uh, you said joint yeah. project, are you referring to what what happened <laughs> in October, October 17th? Uh, no, but that, that's an interesting point, Jeff. I don't okay. know why you would bring that up, but <laughs> <No>. anyway. <laughs> I don't either, but you know, sometimes he just goes rogue on me. Yeah. yeah. So you're back. We're back talking to Lorna Visser about the Slocan Legacy Fund and the Giving Tuesday events. Um, And we were talking about in the break, the brutal truth around money. And this is a region that does tend to have issues around money. There are a lot of people living in our area that are living with very little and poverty conscious. Yeah. And don't necessarily feel like they have the resources to contribute to other people when they're barely making their own ends meet. So how do you, how do you communicate to them 
that this is something that is in their best interest. Right. I think our job is to offer people the opportunity to support something that actually fulfills their dream. So if their dream for their community involves a vibrant arts community, culture, music, uh, a safe playgrounds for our children to play in, children who understand the connection between our, where our food comes from and having a healthy environment, all those sorts of things, then it's really not that hard to ask for money because you're simply offering people the opportunity to see a better world come true. And it's true, Anna, that money is a great source of anxiety and stress in people's lives. And to be overly focused on it can bring a lot of stress and, and anxiety into your life. Um, we like to talk more about the flow of abundance in people's lives. And can I give an example? Mm -hmm. Many years ago, um, I helped with a campaign to raise money for the Valhalla Mile. And probably your listeners will remember that campaign. I remember it. Okay. We had to raise a lot of money. $1.5 million is a lot of money, certainly for around here. And we had 10 months to do it in. So we went at it full bore from every angle you can imagine. We had house parties. We had concerts. We had silent auctions. We wrote grant proposals. We got some of the funding from BC Parks, some of the funding from CBT. But we still raised $250,000 from this community. That is just the north end of the Slocan Valley. And we got such heartfelt contributions to that. It was really amazing. Here's an example. Every week I would go and get the mail from the mailbox with checks and, and pledges for the Valhalla Mile campaign. And there was a letter from a local lady and it said, here is my check to support the purchase of the Valhalla Mile. Now, the idea there was that we would buy this piece of private land and then it would be turned back over to BC Parks and it would become re-become re part of Valhalla Provincial Park rather than being private land, which could have been developed. And the woman said, here's my check to support purchasing the Valhalla Mile. She said, my kids wanted me to give you $500 but I'm giving you $5,000 because that piece of property is one of the most important things in my life. When I was in high school here, I went on a canoe trip that went along the west side of Slocan Lake, and we, we camped out three nights, and one of the nights of camping was on that property, and I want other people and other children to be able to have that experience, and here is my gift. I mean, that's a really humbling. This is a person who is not a wealthy person by any means. It would have been a great stretch to make that gift. But when something really moves you to the core, then you look for the opportunity to support it. And in a way, there is nothing that supports the feeling of abundance more than giving. That's right. So uh, the irony. Isn't it? Yes, it is an irony. To give away is to, is to get. To, to, to stimulate the circular flow of abundance in one's life is to be generous and to expect generosity in return. And the cool part of it, too, is, is you really are contributing to a collective pot. Not, not to reference the previous joke <laughs> that I did before, but you get my point, yeah. right? It's like... Yeah, you can't do much with 50 bucks or $100 right. in your pocket. But when you put it in 
collectively with other people who are doing the same thing, then amazing things can happen. And you feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself as well. The other thing is you you leave a personal legacy that lives on past your own lifespan. Mm -hmm. So for people who are really rooted in the Slocan Valley as an amazing and very unique and special place to be, you want to think about what's that going to be like in 100 years? Are the same values that we hold now still going to be in, in effect in 100 years? How can I make sure this place stays healthy and vibrant for future generations who are going to live here? So getting to the brutal honesty, the brutal truth, what comes into my mind right now is there is a huge resistance among people in this end of the valley against development of any sort. So if all of a sudden this fund, let's say 10 years, 20 years down the road, there's a lot of money there. People would be reluctant to have it be successful if they see evil businesses but forming it's, it's only in the for area. Charitable. It's only for charitable purposes, right? That's, right. The, that's the whole construct of it is that the Osprey Community Foundation, which is our parent organization. So the Slocan Valley Legacy Fund is an affiliate fund held within the Osprey Foundation. Osprey is a registered charity itself. And it's also a registered Canadian foundation. So we couldn't possibly give the money to any sort of corporate entity. I don't mean to a corporate entity, but basically what I'm saying is, okay, if I want funding and I am not a society, I can partner with a society. With a charity. With a charity, Mm -hmm. right? But they would only support your endeavor if they were in alignment with it. That's right. And in fact... What happens in that, what we call an agency agreement situation is the project becomes a project of the charity and the charity has the ultimate oversight role Mm -hmm. because they have that that responsibility responsibility to Canada Revenue Agency. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. they would lose their charitable status. So it's a serious thing. This isn't just a marriage of convenience. There has to be an alignment of, of mission there. Okay. I mean, one of the issues that I had, I mean, I've applied for my share of of grants. And one of the issues that I've had is you come up with an idea and the only way that the funding can come to you is if you can prove that you yourself as the organizer aren't making a dime. You can pay everybody else, but you yourself can't benefit at all financially from or okay a pittance yeah i think we certainly make an allowance for operating costs which not all funders do and i think that's quite progressive actually of us we are trying to stay you know ahead of the curve and say of course you need to pay your phone bill of course you need to print materials of course you need to pay the monthly fee Mm -hmm. to have a website so some of that is indeed funded but i I take your point it's a difficult situation Mm -hmm. well yeah i mean it's been actually on my mind for a while now that just because of living in the Slocan Valley and having such a huge number of of charitable organizations or at least nonprofit organizations and so many people living grant to grant in a you know in a basically constant poverty consciousness situation right. where they are just barely so they're paying their expenses but there's never any wiggle room for sure and it's uh, 
it's not a way of creating abundance. No, it's not. Well, it, there's it, a fundamental problem there, though. And the fundamental, I've, I've got to take my legacy fund hat off a little bit here to talk about this, but grants are not solely the answer to getting funding. Mm-hmm. And organizations also have to develop other means of generating revenue. So individual donors, memberships, major donor programs, uh, it could be a social enterprise. There's other ways to raise money for an organization. Busking. And busking. There you go. Clarinet playing on the corner. But you saw we, where I was going with that. <laughs> You're reading my mind. We uh, we tend to think of grants as the, the way to get money. And it's just one egg in the basket. And when you when you focus only on that one egg, you put yourself in a, in a position of jeopardy because if the funders don't fund you, you're not flavor of the month anymore. You yeah. are in, in, serious, in serious straits. And that is actually why the Legacy Fund is looking for support from individual members of the community. We mm-hmm. don't get grants. We are a funder and we get our funding from our community. So this is a way to invest back into the your vibrancy and health of your own community. And it is something... You mentioned social enterprise that I think that the model of the nonprofit is shifting and it, it is starting to become more trying to encompass sustainability within the, the whole sort of uh, makeup of the organization. And, and things like social enterprise are a really good example of that. Instead of asking for money and then you getting the money and spending the money, um, setting up situations where we are benefiting the community and the community is benefiting us back. And in that way, we are creating a sustainable relationship. It seems to me like that would be a much more viable long-term model than this, I don't know, it seems like we almost have a habit it's like moving your your piece around the monopoly board, hop, 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 versus having a long-term vision of where you're going. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think one of the things that needs to happen is the legislative framework around charitable giving needs to change to reflect that. Yes. It's very old-fashioned. The laws we have are from the 1600s. I mean, it's the model of charity is that the wealthy bestow charity on the lesser mortals beneath them. And that is actually the fundamental underpinnings of our laws to this day. So the right. whole the whole thing needs a rethink. Of course, right now in 2018, we have to work with the rules as they are. Right. But there's lots of room for much more progressive models, definitely. Yeah, that, that's been my kind of pet peeve with the whole... I don't know, since we've been here, just realizing. The other thing is how many organizations are overlapping efforts? Like, is that... I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. But when I start to drill down, I think, is that really an overlap? Or is that a benefit that we have more diversity? We have more people involved. We have people who can fill in when other people aren't available. And the other really interesting thing and the challenge we have, especially in the north part of the Slocan Valley, is the seasonal nature of our population. Mm -hmm. We have wonderful, very engaged community members, but they're only here for six months of the year. And the other six months of the year, the rest of us are struggling to keep everything going and chugging it all along. And they're on the beach. (laughs) So 
So, yeah. So I think, um, I don't think we can fight that. I think that's the reality of where we live. I think we need to work within that. And mm-hmm. we need to say, maybe we need a new model. Maybe instead of taking time off in the summer, all of, a lot of our charitable groups will say, we don't meet in July and August. Maybe that's when we should be doing the majority of our work because that's when the majority of our residents are here. Maybe we should take December and January and February off. So, you know, some shifts in thinking are definitely overdue around all of our nonprofit and charitable sector. Mm-hmm. That's a really good idea. I think that's actually. a great idea. <laughs> because I've thought that too. Like, you know, there's so many people who spend, they come here in the summer and they, they play for the entire summer. And that's lovely. But those of us that are here year round are slogging along, trying to keep things going and and they come, they benefit from the infrastructures that we spend the trails, a lot of effort. The cultural building, events, yeah. the musical performances. And sure. Meanwhile, they go to Costco or whatever big box store before they come to the Valley. Well, sometimes. Quite but often. There's still quite a few people who are conscious enough to come and support yeah. the local economy. But because most of the nonprofits aren't really that active in the summer, they don't end up supporting their efforts. Exactly right. And that's why when we, I was mentioning that we published this two page spread in the Valley voice, that's why we publish it in either July or August. We're going to get the most bang for it. We pay for that. We believe in supporting our local newspaper and we pay for that two page spread. Each foundation pays their share. Uh, We split it into four and we publish it in the summer when the most people are here. Makes pretty good sense to me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a a shift in the, the, the temporal, the, the time related nature of how we reach out to people is definitely in order. And I do have to say one thing when I think about the seasonal residents here, then I drill down and I think about the actual individual people I know. Mm -hmm. They are amazing people and they are active when they're here. I mean, I'm sure there's some who aren't, but the people I know get involved. They're on committees. They're volunteering at the garlic festival. They're, they're out there doing things. They're doing trail maintenance. They're, they're not just treating this like a resort. They come and they participate when they're here and, and we can't really fight that. That is the nature of our community. And so now we need to learn to make that work for us. Mm-hmm. Well, I think in a lot of cases, I mean, I've talked to a number of people that are seasonal members of the community. And nine times out of 10, they would say, well, if I could afford to live here full time, I right. would. That's but I still factor. have to, mm-hmm. yeah. I have to make a living. So they, they're working their job in the big city, for example. And so... I mean, it still is benefiting the community. Yeah. And I I mean, I do think, though, we could be better at involving those seasonal residents. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that struck me when we first came here, as it is probably in any small town where when you first arrive in an area or if you're not a permanent resident, you tend to be put aside or you're in a separate class of people. And, yeah. and you're not one of those people that the community comes to when they have a need and that's you're right. Not, you know, you're not asked to step it, up. It really behooves us to step beyond that mm-hmm. and to just look at when you're, I, I can name names of people that when they're here, they are a hundred percent on it. Mm-hmm. They are on boards, on committees, doing volunteer work and making a real contribution. And, you know, I can't criticize those people for not being here in the, the dull, doldrum days of late November. They, yeah. they have their reasons why they need to be elsewhere. And I think we just need to accept it and work with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. good. 
Well, I think we should take one more break. And then when we come back, I want to get into your personal reasons for being charitable. Okay. And she's really going to be in the hot hot seat (laughs) now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We'll be back. All right. So you're listening to Shift Happens on CJLY-FM. My name is Jeff. And I'm Anna. And we are interviewing Lorna. Welcome back, Thank Lorna. You. Thanks for having me. So we've been talking about the Slocan Valley Legacy Fund, but it strikes me that you have actually been involved in charities for your entire adult life. Most of it, yeah. So, and also doing fundraising, which most people really hate doing. I mean, I know personally when I've been on boards and somebody goes, we have to strike a fundraising committee. I try to hide under the table. Do the one, do, do, do. I think I hear my mom calling <laughs> and you're exactly. out the room. Got it. Like yeah. I am in for pretty much anything else, yeah. but I hate fundraising. Right. So what motivates you? Like how on earth did you as a young woman decide that you wanted to be a fundraiser for charities. Right. Well, first of all, I don't think anybody when they're six years old and, and they're asked, what would you like to be when you grow up, <laughs> Anna, says, oh, I want to be a fundraiser for a charity. I mean, we all slide into it for reasons of necessity. Right. I call it being the accidental fundraiser. We are put in that role because we're in an organization where we have a mission to deliver. And With fundraising, I think a lot of it is about getting over our own personal fears around money, around asking for money. And I always say, let your passion for your cause be greater than your fear of rejection. Because it's really your personal fear of rejection that's holding you back. Can we put that on a t-shirt, by the way? (laughs) Yeah, I've thought of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I do give fundraising courses and I've, I've done a lot of coaching and consulting in my life. And it's so fundamental that until we ourselves are okay with talking about our mission and the need for funds to support it. That's Mm -hmm. only natural. You don't have a a school bus and think that it's just going to run and run and never put gas into it. You need a school bus driver and you need a mechanic to maintain it and you need to put gas in it and you need to maintain it. You need to put new snow tires on it every couple of years. All of those things require fundraising to keep the bus rolling. Nothing wrong with that. It's just a natural part of life. So, Okay, I've always found it easier to do that sort of thing for someone else. I'll put in all kinds of energy for an organization or my friends or family or whatever, but I find it really difficult to do that for me. Mm-hmm. Do you have the same issue or could you say, give me the money right now? <laughs> I want it. I want it now. Well, I don't quite know what you mean by fundraise for me. Well, I'm just saying, okay, if if it's something that is purely about you, like it could be a creative endeavor, it could be just something that interests you and it's not necessarily related to the community. Do you know what I'm saying? I can speak to that. I've observed Lorna over the last 12 years and I'd say you have generally an abundance mindset in in everything that you do, it's not just for organizations that you're working for, but in general, you live your life with that that mentality. And, and I think you enjoy your life. You know, the less I worry about money, the more money comes into my life. So the less I put a lot of stress and scarcity thoughts around money and just let that go. And I just always assume there is abundance. There will be enough. What I need will be provided. 
Now let's get out there and get some good work done. Or let's go be in an orchestra or let's learn a new instrument or let's start a new organization. We've got work to do here, folks. And I'm not going to let a fear of not having enough money hold me back. It's, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm unusual in that regard, but I've never had to really worry mm-hmm. about it. Strive that way. I'm very fortunate. Yeah. Well, and I have to say too, that that is the, the magic. And I think that also pushes people's buttons. Does it not? When you come from that, that vantage point from that outlook on the world for people who are stuck in the poverty consciousness, they can resist that. But all I can say is, is that if there were more Lorna's in the community, no, and I don't mean that to, to butter you up. I'm just saying if people had a healthier attitude toward abundance, period, <clears throat> then we would experience something more positive. Yeah. He's speaking at us, by the way. I think that's yeah. really, that's really, you've, you've touched on the, the core of the matter. You just have to understand that there's so much money in this world. I mean, people spend money on all sorts of things. They'll buy a painting for several million dollars. There's, there's money all over. It's just a question of redirecting the flow into worthy projects, community development, all the things that need to happen. Now, on the other hand, we're not going to be Pollyanna and say, oh, never mind, don't worry about money. Everyone needs a certain amount of money to live. And so that's why, for example, we should have a minimum a minimum wage. It should be increased. We should have the minimum living, you know, that there's a certain amount of support for people who need it. Some people have, have better situations than others, but ultimately... We've yeah. had a few shows we've done about guaranteed basic income. Thank you. That's because I, I, I do yeah. believe that yeah. if we, in this country at least, if not the world in general, but taking it just to the level of Canada, if everybody had at least their basic needs covered and guaranteed, I personally think it would transform society. And, you know, people say, oh, well... If we had guaranteed basic income, everybody would stop working. Well, no. If you look at how much effort is put into things that we'd never get paid for, how much time, as we've talked about. Like producing a radio show. Yeah. There you go. Like all of the charitable stuff that people do. And they don't do it because they get paid. They do it because they care. And I think that if we could stretch ourselves enough to really believe that our neighbors would do what they care about if they didn't have to worry about meeting their basic needs, it really would transform the world we live in. That's my little soapbox speech. Mm-hmm. So how could we, you, you talk about all these millions of dollars that are spent on paintings in other parts of the world. <laughs> do you have any ideas on how to get that money in the local region? Well, I'm just using that as, as an example that when people really want to see some outcome, whether that might be having a Van Gogh painting on their wall or whether that might be having a healthy nursery school in New Denver, if you really want to see that happen, you put the energy into bringing the money to where it needs to go. And that's a communications mm-hmm. challenge. It's a credibility challenge. You have to build an organization. It has to be credible. People have to feel safe investing in it. It's work. It is work. This isn't magic. This is plain old fashioned work. 
And we see our volunteers here locally doing that all the time. And it brings about results. You've actually been involved in raising money for a couple of really big projects. The Bonanza Marsh, what shouldn't, Mm -hmm. probably wasn't. I don't really know how much money you had to raise for that. You had to raise 350,000. So that was a big undertaking. And again, local, I mean, wow. People just stepped up like you wouldn't believe. It was it was like you put the words wetland and need money for in the same <laughs> sentence and people will donate to it. I mean, everyone understands how incredibly vitally important the last remaining wetlands are on this earth. So that was a joyful thing to participate in. So we, one of the things that we always like to talk about on our show is the shifts that have happened in our own lives. Do you believe that your participation in those kinds of endeavors has had a significant positive impact oh, in your own life? Absolutely. So the abundance has come back to you? I always said the less money I had, the happier I was. So I used to work in the oil industry. That's my my secret. I have a, I'm a woman with a past. <laughs> and uh, I made a lot of money. And I, you know, dressed up in fancy suits and did the whole oil executive. I was in the public affairs end of things. And I was miserable and I hated myself. And as I, as my awareness grew, you know, you start out kind of thinking it'll be fine. Um, I had a journalism degree. I wanted to put it to work. So, um, and then you, you start realizing this is horrible. And I'm getting up every morning at like before five o'clock in the morning to get to work on time, to fight traffic, to do all of this. And I quit cold Turkey and I went and worked for the Red Cross and I made a quarter of what I had been making. But at least you could job. look yourself in the and mirror, I though. And I loved it. And it was so much fun. And we got to do such amazing things. And with the world, my worldwide mandate of that organization, I learned so much. I had opportunities to see projects. I I just, it was like, the, it was like someone turned on the lights. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, money isn't the only thing to judge yourself by in terms of success. Mm-hmm. No, and we've, we've talked about that a fair bit. Um because, you know, we all like to point the finger at the, the people at the top who are doing the, the evil things. But it requires people at the bottom obeying those orders. Yeah. Like, yeah. really, like, <clears throat> you know, it, armies would be absolutely ineffective if those soldiers would not pick up their guns and be prepared to shoot them at somebody right. that they don't even know. They, they have no way of assessing whether or not that's a good person or not. And I, I, I have friends and family who are in the oil industry, as an example, and I struggle with that because, yes, I know, we all put oil in our vehicles. We all consume, and so we are all part of the problem. But... That's a kind of an oversimplified... It is. Uh, I, I think that's an oversimplified argument that is often trolled Used. out, oh, yeah. but it's much bigger than that. And it's about the structural underpinnings of our entire society. And that takes leadership to change that. You can't yes. blame Jeff for putting gas in his car. You have to talk to our governments. You have to talk to the the, the entities that structure our society and say, why aren't we having rebates for electric cars? Why did the government cancel that program? There used to be a rebate program for hybrids. You know, there is so much that's built into uh, feeding our addiction to hydrocarbons. Mm-hmm. And that could be changed very easily, but it takes political will. And I think that's the level we have to work at it at. Mm-hmm. 
I agree. And yet I, I have to admit, I'm getting kind of jaded. Uh, you know, I really thought Trudeau's government was on board with this whole ecological agenda and they just completely bailed on us. He who cuts the checks is the one that's in control. So he how? is not in control. So, so yeah. So we have this struggle where we put people in power, they make promises, they always break them. And, you know, even the NDP and the Site C, like over and over and over again, I'm disappointed. And then I think, all right, well, we cannot wait for the people at the top of the shift, shift pile, pile to, <laughs> yeah. to make these changes. Somehow we have to figure out how to do it at the grassroots level. And that's where these nonprofit organizations come into play, where people take matters into their own hands at the level of their local communities where yep. they can actually make a difference. Well, there's a local climate change coalition based out of Nelson that's really doing great work. And it's not an easy issue to tackle. You know, you're talking about carbon credits and, and taxation systems and, and it can get bogged down pretty quickly. And they've jumped right into the fray and they're pressuring politicians and they're educating people and they're doing advocacy. And so they are operating at a grassroots level. Mm -hmm. I guess hmm. that's really where we have to have to tackle it. Yeah. So where do you see yourself? I mean, you shared the shifts that have happened in your life, just doing the, the kind of work that you've done. Where do you see yourself in 20 years, 30 years? Well, my dream would be to have a couple million dollars in the Slocan Valley Legacy Fund. So we have a really great great stream of revenue coming off of that fund, that interest on the, the core endowment, the interest on the principal. And we could do all sorts of amazing projects. We could be proactive with projects. We could say, look, this community needs this. Let's step in and support it and, and empower these, these poor bedraggled volunteers who are living grant to grant. You know, that would be my dream is to have a really successful community fund and have staff and really make something of it, of it, you know? Mm -hmm. So sure. Let's, let's aim big. Very cool. So go remind the home. listeners of what's coming up here in the very. Okay. Well, future. Giving Tuesday is on November 27th. So whenever you're listening to this broadcast, it should be coming up shortly. And we're having events at the Apple tree and at the Everbean cafe that day. There's a big ad in the, on the back page of the current issue of the Valley voice as well as an article. So we're always so grateful for the support we get from our local media. They're just fantastic. There's this interview on the radio. We're posting like crazy on Facebook and wherever we can to get attention. And we really hope people will uh, make their Giving Tuesday act of generosity be a gift to their local community fund. Very cool. And if you feel like you don't have the resources to actually give money to the Slocan Valley Legacy Fund, Giving Tuesday is about giving in general. That's right. And Any type of giving. It is a mindset. Yeah. And it is one that is based in a sense of gratitude. And gratitude is where the shifts happen. So give in whatever way right. you can. Help a neighbor. Uh, bake some cookies for someone who's a shut-in. Um, do a small gift of kindness of any sort. It all counts. Well, it all adds together the collective energy, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So speaking of gratitude, we are very grateful for you, our listeners, the people that tune in on a regular basis. 
we're all over the map sometimes, but it always comes from the heart. So you've been listening to Shift Happens on CJLY, and we've been interviewing Lorna Visser, and we're going to have her on the show. She's already agreed. We're going to do some combative discussions on, <laughs> on air. We're going to have some boxing gloves right, and I'm have a good my time. Teeth. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, thank you, Lorna, for coming in. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate getting the word out to the well, community. You're more than welcome. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? I don't. Just I agree. Thank you to our listeners and thanks to Lorna. And we will see you next Tuesday, which will be Giving Tuesday. Oh, yeah. Enjoy. You've been tuned in to shifthappens.media on CJLYFM, Radio with a Heart. My name is Jeff. And I'm Anna. Shift Happens airs from 2 until 4 every Tuesday and also every Sunday from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. on Kootenai Co-op Radio, CJLYFM. Podcasts of the show are also available on KootenyCoopRadio.com and shifthappens.media. And if you aren't in our listening region, you can listen live on KootenyCoopRadio.com as well. Shift Happens, affecting positive change one shift at a time.